Thanks for pushing play. It's Ozarks Overtime. I'm Gary Lee. I'm Harlan Hutchison. As we take our weekly look at our perspective as fans, you know, and of sports. And, of course, locally, a lot of stuff is going on. I mean, I don't know, Harlan, is there a busier time of year for us as far as the sports world goes? Well, it's a train wreck because of COVID. That's the main reason it's and that, then add that it's yeah. that busy this time of the year. But no, you're right. Under normal circumstances, you have you know we're getting down close to postseason high school, uh, college with the national tournament coming on, conference tournaments, and the start of the baseball season. So and it's, so you know that makes it always really busy this time of the year. But uh, everything then you add on to that, like from the uh, junior college perspective the lady grizzly volleyball team is playing now they normally would be done three months ago Mm -hmm. so you've got that in the mix as well and the grizzly basketball team just got started last month and so that's going through the end of march and into early april now they're you know they're not going to be playing into june and but uh they're just kind of jam-packing everything in basically january february and they'll be finishing up the first of april is that about right well it'll go till if you are you talking about the junior college stuff i don't know what you're talking okay the grizzlies yeah well yeah normally normally it runs pretty much concurrent with high school meaning that by the time you get to early march just like march madness you're Mm -hmm. talking about the the national tournament for basketball usually doesn't happen until late in march but this year because of the way things are they'll probably get pushed back into april too so it's not going to go to it's not going to go into june or anything like that but it is a longer season this year well the grizzlies basketball uh they're they're doing really good this year they lost their first region game uh this week of course we're recording this on the 25th of february uh moberly and a very good moberly team and it was not like it was a good game i mean it was it was the grizzlies looking at the score and the box score to me of course you did it you can give us the lowdown on it but it looked like the grizzlies could have won that game just as easily as they have they lost it well there were two points in the game where they got they hit a cold streak and that was when Moberly was able to get a little bit of separation on them. And both teams played really good. After the game, Jared Fay, and something that you posted on the Ozark Radio News Sports website, said, and he gave a lot of credit to Moberly. They mm-hmm. shot the ball great and really played well, and they won a road game. What's kind of interesting is that you look at the results in the region so far, usually the recipe for success in the region uh, league, Region 16, is you win your home games if you're going to finish in the top three. You win your home games, and you win, try to steal a couple on the road. So far this year, the the road teams are winning almost everything. Uh, the Grizzlies are 2-1 in the, in the region. Both wins have been on the road. Their only loss was at home. Last night, uh, they handed State Fair a loss on, on their court. So, you know, that, that's, that's really good. But you have to take advantage of that 
if you're going to win road games, the road games normally are the really hard ones to win. Last night was a hard one to win for uh, the Grizzlies, but they figured out a way to do it. And so now they've got two road wins, but to take advantage of that, they've got to start winning at home. They've only played one home game, and they'll play another one next Monday when they play Three Rivers. Well, and that's that's a big, big game. That's a big rival game. Usually the, it's – it's a rowdy, loud atmosphere. I mean, it's everything that you would want. And uh, well, it's a big rival game more for the fans than it is the players. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, these kids are coming through here. They're passing through, and they don't probably put too much stock in that rivalry thing. Although, if you, especially now after the first game, if you're Three <laughs> Rivers, if you're Three Rivers, you just got spanked on your court. I don't mean just beat, but spanked. The final margin was ten, but it wasn't near that close. So when they play again next Monday night, I guarantee Brian Best, the head coach at Three Rivers, I guarantee he's going to be fired up, and he's going to try to get his kids fired up too. And he probably won't have much trouble doing that. But that'll be a really, really good game next Monday night at the West Plains Civic Center. You know, there was a lot of speculation when uh, Brian took over for his father that you know, he would not really be able to get the program going. But as you had told me last year or a couple years ago, really it had been Brian doing pretty much everything and Gene, Coach Bess, was more of a I don't he was the face. He still coached. I don't think he would he now let me stop you there because in his entire tenure as at Three Rivers and he was there from the beginning until he got out after last year. Uh, Gene Bess was never a figurehead. He he was he, he was, was the man. man. He was the man. Okay. And right. now that's not to say that Brian didn't do a lot of coaching too, and he and he did, and he of course he's the head coach now. But don't let anyone ever tell you that Gene Bess was detached and was just there on the bench carrying the uh, title of head coach because he wasn't. He could get still in his early eighties. He would get fired up there on the sideline <laughs> and was a, and was a good coach right up till the end of his uh, career. So uh, and and Brian Bess, you know, he he coached at his uh coached right there next to his dad all those years. There was speculation for a long time that the reason that Gene Bess stayed on was so that Brian could stay there too because there's some people that thought that once Gene retired, that they should just start over change. again. Yeah. Use that opportunity to change. But something happened, and Brian was able to get the job. And the one thing about Brian Bess that I, that I really like is that he's a competitor. Boy, he gets he, – we've had several encounters, especially over at uh, Poplar Bluff over the years where, you know, uh, players kind of got into one another and – Brian would get up off the bench, and he'd start shouting at people. And I remember back in 2011, Damon Francis, he got off the bench. He was shouting at Brian. Brian was shouting at him. And it, it was a lot of fun. But but it's it's great competition. That's what it comes down to, just good, hard competition. Well, you know, it looks to this year in the re, in Region 16 that uh, it's it's – there's a lot of parody, you know. I mean, now, you know, you haven't seen all the teams play, but just kind of – uh, what we've seen to this point, you know, I mean, you're going to have to show up every night at tip-off, and you're going to have to play focused, disciplined basketball if you want to come out victorious. I think this is the best I've ever seen the league. Really? I'm, I'm not uh, not necessarily 
the best. Uh, there have been better teams in the region, but when you go from the top to yeah. bottom, okay, yeah. min- mineral area right now, I think they're ranked number. I want to say number five in the country. They they moved they moved up a little bit. They may may be as high as three. I don't have it in front of me. Is are the Grizzlies are they receiving any votes or does that does it show that uh, they the Grizzlies are, are scoring a lot of points and and man they can they can hit the three. Of course, last night against State Fair, the the shots didn't fall like they had been, but. What was really nice to see when you when I looked at this final score, it's in the 70s, and now in years past, if an opponent were, were able to keep the Grizzlies under, you know, uh, uh, scoring a game like that, it usually didn't fare too well for them. But, you know, it seems like this year's Grizzlies are a little better defensively now i don't know if it's because of scheme or if they've bought into playing defense or if it's just a combination of all that i don't i don't i don't know their style of play is so much different when they're especially when they're playing well that the pace of the game is just going to dictate that you're going to give up some easy baskets sometimes right yeah and the same thing works the other way but the, th- the 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 thing that they do you know the thing they do pretty well in spite of the fact they don't have a what do you call a big team their tallest starter is i think 6465 they really rebound the ball well and they they uh, out rebounded uh three rivers when they won over there they out rebounded state fair last no it was even total rebounds even. were 42 apiece if they break even i mean that's plenty good enough mm-hmm. but the one thing that they do when they're playing well is they play hard last night uh, they were dragging in the first half. They got behind by as many as 12 points in the first half. Is 33-21. Jared Fay called timeout and just ripped into his team. There were no fans there, so you could hear everything that was being said. And uh, during the commercial break, I was listening, and he just really got into him and screaming at him that you're not playing hard. You're not playing hard enough. By halftime, they were down five. But then they came out in the second half, and it was different. They played with a lot more intensity, mm-hmm. and that and that made all the difference in the world. And they ended up winning the ball game. But boy, it was hard. State Fair is probably well. They're good enough to beat about anybody in the league, except maybe Mineral Area. They could have beat us last night, and we got to play them two more times. But they're going to be a factor at the very least. The big thing in Region 16 is. You got five teams. You want to finish in the top three because if you finish fourth or fifth, you play a playing game against one another to get into the region tournament. So that's what it's really all about. You got you want to finish first, second, or third, so you so you're able to not have to play that playing game. Well, you know, Coach Fay, congratulations uh, to the start of this season and last night's win. Um, the rankings. Do they do that at the JUCO level? Is it's is it's it a weak? coach's poll? It's a coach's poll. But uh, I was just now looking. Mineral area is rate is ranked fifth. They're undefeated. They're ten and zero. And Coffeyville. Here's the here's the main reason I think the Grizzlies aren't ranked yet. Coffeyville beat them by forty points yeah. in the opening game. The Grizzlies just weren't ready for that yet. And Coffeyville is really good. Coffee Coffeyville is ten and zero. And they are the number two ranked team. They got two first place votes. There are 16 first place votes. South Plains from Texas is the number one team. They're 8 0. But uh, that really hurt them. 
that left a it left a bad impression, I think, right, with some people. And it's kind of hard to recover from that because if you throw out that first game, they've really played they've very very every well. Game. Yeah, they're, so they're seven and three now. If they beat Three Rivers again, uh, Monday, for instance, then boy, next week is going to be a devil of a week because they play Three Rivers at home Monday. They play St. Louis Community College Wednesday night at home, who's not bad. And then next Saturday, a week from this Saturday, they go to Moberly. So that's a rough week. Three tough games. So you're going to have to be ready for that. And they had that week layoff. Um, that hurt. I think that hurt them. You know, because didn't they had that week layoff and then the Moberly game, you know. Moberly had played three games in five days. They may have been a little tired, but they were pretty sharp. And we didn't look real sharp at times in that game. Play all right, but just didn't play quite good enough. But we won't have that excuse next week. Mm-hmm. Three games in six days and three tough games and topped off by that trip up to Moberly. Now, shifting gears, you know, again, like I said uh, earlier, it hits a busy time of year. District high school basketball in the state of Missouri, and right now, Classes 1, 2, and 3 are in their district tournaments and uh, will be crowning district champions this, uh, well, tonight, Friday, and, and there's even a few championship games to be played on Saturday. Next week, Classes 4, 5, and 6 will start their district. So some area districts that, that we kind of follow in Class 1, District 3, it was uh, South Iron, was playing uh, St. Paul Lutheran, and then Koshkinog played Eminence on the girls' side, and it was South Iron girls winning and the Eminence Lady Red Wings. They will play for the district championship Friday at 6 p.m., and I think we've discussed this in in prior episodes of uh, Overtime, but, you know, you got to be uh follow the eminence lady red wings and their final four run where they won a state championship and uh this team is it reminds a lot of eminence faithful of that team you know they're they're not real deep they're pretty good they're they're pretty solid uh and uh they're gonna try and make another run but they got to get by south iron girls the south iron boys will play bunker and that will be played at Lesterville for the championship of District 3 Class 1 tonight, which is the 25th. South Iron is the number one team in the state. We got to see them play Dora last year without their, you know, their, their top player. Well, he played, but he was definitely at about, you know, 60%, 70%. But now they have everybody back, and they're kind of uh, they're on a mission to claim that uh, state title. Other games, Alton Comets on the boys' side will play Van Buren at Van Buren tonight in the uh, Class 2 District 2 Championship. And the girls uh, will be playing tonight as well at Van Buren at 6. And it'll be Ellington taking on Neelyville. Class 2 District 10 boys semifinals last night. Norwood, a team, Harlan, that you really, you really like that Norwood bunch. You talked a lot about them. Uh, we got to see them play in the Cabal Holiday Tournament. They romped Summersville, and they will face Gainesville in the district championship uh, at 6 p.m. Friday night. Uh, then Class 2 girls, uh, Gainesville is going to play Dora. 
tonight in the championship game at Norwood. Class 3, District 1, Thayer boys defeated Seneth Hornsville 70-52. to They will face Portageville in the Class 3, District 1 championship game tonight. And, uh, you know, Stillville girls will play last year's state runner-up, Licking Lady Wildcats, at Dixon, that actually Friday night. And so that kind of wraps up the districts that we're following close, other than I think you've got the Hartville one there at the top of your sheet, Hartville boys. I I do have it on here somewhere. Uh, Highlighted in blue. Okay, there it is. Yeah, Class 3, District 10 boys semifinals. Uh, Hartville beat Mansfield and Stratford beat Fair Grove. So uh, Stratford... Who is a good team? A, a good team. Good team. Who uh, did pretty well in the Blue and Gold tournament? Uh, will play Hartville, but there's there's a difference between being a good team playing Hartville because they're way past being a good team. But <laughs> I mean, now, t- I mean, do you buy into this? I don't know. Do you this where boy? You know, man. Uh, uh, here, this is a. Uh, trap game or man it'd be it'd be better if you'd they'd had one loss but you know they're they're due to lose a game they're due to stumble i mean do you buy into any of that i think that's more of a coaching thing than it is a player thing because no coach brett reed is such a good coach he he really is i mean his track record proves how Mm -hmm. good a coach he is he won't let that happen that is not going to happen they may not, you know, Stratford may not be one of the best teams that they've played this year. They're a good team, but Coach Reed knows that this is a process, and part of the process is beating teams like Stratford to get to where you want to go, and I think that they'll they'll be ready to play. I don't think that's really an issue. Well, it's, um, it, it's going to be on, and then, you know, there's – it's so hard – to win a district, even when you're the favorite, like a Hartville or or whatever team, but uh, they're on a quest. And if Hartville can win a state championship this year, of course they're going to have to do it with a perfect season. Like last week when we talked, you know, the question was, well, you know, how where would that put them on the route on the Mount Rushmore of of Missouri State high school basketball teams teams. Uh, of all time to uh, be able to run the gauntlet and not, you know, especially when you look at Hartville's schedule. Talking with Coach Reed before the season started, he told me he really ramped up this year's schedule. And, uh, I mean, he didn't shy away from anybody. If if you wanted to play Hartville, okay. He didn't care what size of school you were. I mean, you know, playing uh, um, Viola, playing – Kickapoo twice, Greenwood twice, Nixa, Ozark, Republic, you know, I mean, he has, Hartville has not shied away from tough opponents. And in Class 3 itself, along with Hartville, you also have Greenwood, who's ranked second in the state to Hartville's number one. You have Thayer, that's ranked fourth. Uh, The Stratford team is ranked eighth. Yeah. So so they're a top ten team. I think the one of the biggest things with being ranked number one is you got a bullseye on you, and you're going to get the best effort from everybody you play. And when that includes Greenwood, I know that they've beaten them twice this year. I understand that. 
what's the old saying they say it's really hard to be a good team three times tell you what that's going to be hard i know hartville is really good and and they may be a better overall team when you get down to it than greenwood but they will be that will be really something if they do end up playing greenwood again that'll be really something if they can beat a team that has a kid that's signed with georgetown uh, yeah uh, if they're able to beat them three times. That'll be really hard. Not that they can't, but, boy, it's going to be hard. Well, now, Hardland, looking at classes are local there, class four, five, and six uh, that's coming up that'll start next week. Uh, we got some area districts that we'll kind of keep an eye on as well. Well, you've got West Plains playing in that district, which we'll see them play at Marshfield on, on Tuesday night. And uh, they played once already this season, and Marshfield beat them at Marshfield, and they didn't they didn't get blown out. But Marshfield handled them pretty good. Now, on the girls' side, West Plains will be at home. They'll play Jeff City Helias, who is another top-10 team right. in the state. I believe they're number eight. Yeah. And so, you know, that'll be a hard game. You know, I've my philosophy has always been that it doesn't matter this time of the year what your record is. It matters more about how you're playing at this time. And that's kind of a that's kind of one of the concerns that I'd have a little bit with West Plains girls because they've had a little tougher time of it here over the last three, four weeks. And they're gonna be playing some 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 good competition. It could end up with a game against Rolla. Now, my understanding is, and I may be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure it's right. If West Plains ends up playing Rolla for the district championship. That'll be played here. It'll at the Civic at Center. At the Civic Center. Right, right. That's how the districts are working. Thank you. Uh, because this year, due to COVID, districts are completely different. The first and second rounds, the higher seed will be the host. And then the champ the district championship game, it was predetermined to uh, be played at a neutral site. Now, it, <laughs> that's not a neutral well, site. Well, it just kind of so happens that's just kind of how, how it worked out. But, you know, again, the ladies' scissors. Well, it's they, a neutral they site if West Plains doesn't play in it. Right, right. They'll have to kind of, you know, earn that. But the Liberty Eagles and the Willow Springs Bears, they'll be playing Monday night. Liberty will be at Mountain Grove. Mountain Grove has beat Liberty twice this year. Uh, and then Willow Springs will be hosting, uh, I believe uh, they host Forsyth uh, on Monday night, and if Willow Springs wins, they will have to take on uh, the winner, I believe, of, uh, no, they'll play Ava. They'll go to Ava, because Ava got a first round bye, and the winner of the Mountain Grove Liberty game will have to travel to the one seed, Hollister. And uh, it, it's, you know, I mean, it's that time of year where it's just a buzzsaw of basketball games at the high school level. And it really gets fun right now because if you win, you you play again. If you lose, well, get ready for track or baseball or, you know, whatever else it is that you do. But uh, this season, with all that we had to overcome and deal with, it has went by in a flash. It, in, it ends in a flash, too. That's what makes – this time of the year, for especially for well for basketball fans, this time of the year, this this is the best time of the year because, you know, if you lose a game, uh, if you if you lose a game a month ago, you say, well, that's uh, that was tough. Okay, we play so and so in three days, 
or we play so-and-so next. Not now. If you lose, it's over. And mm-hmm. that put, that's a little added pressure, and, put, and that's some added excitement for people that go watch the basketball games. So, that, so this is the best time of the year, I think, when I it comes too. to basketball. Yeah. Well, the uh, Missouri State West Plains Grizzly Lady Volleyball team dropped its first region game to Jefferson. But, uh, you know, they're, they're playing pretty good volleyball as well. They won all four games this past weekend uh, in a tournament. And, uh, you know, Coach Paula Wiedemann has is, is got her girls, you know, going. And uh, they're a lot of fun to watch, too. That had to be kind of a – I have to think, you know, Paula has been here for so long, and she knows year in, year out, that any time they play Jefferson uh, from Hillsboro, that it's always going to be a hard match to win. It, and you talk about that's probably their, one of their top rivals at the very least, maybe their top one. And so they, they sweep that tournament, and then they lose to, to Jefferson. Yeah. And, you know, for as good as that was, that uh, great tournament where they went 4-0, and yeah. then they turn around and, and drop that one to Jefferson. That had, that had to really be a little bit of a disappointment and maybe a red flag because you got to be able to, you know, keep it going. You, you utilize that momentum by taking it to the next one and playing well again. But obviously it didn't quite work out that way against Jefferson. Well, uh, yeah, the thing, and of course, the national tournament is going to be played in West Plains. So we had touched on that last week. You know, that's a lot of pressure, but tell you what, if you're going to host it, you need to be in it. Well, that is more for the fans, I think, than it is anything else. I don't really know it matters that much where that tournament is played because the environment for volleyball to me, is almost kind of sterile because you're, you're, you're playing volleyball. It doesn't really matter where you're playing. The game doesn't really change that much. The atmosphere is a little better, especially if you're the home team and if you get people coming out. And playing here for that tournament to be successful, uh, I think the, the way the Grizzlies look at it, for, for it to be a success for them to host, you really, really need the home team playing in it. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, the St. Louis Cardinals will start their, have their first, they're in spring training right now, their first spring training game is February 28th, and uh, the new Cardinals. That's Sunday? Sunday. Wow. Is the first spring training game on KUKU 100.3, Classic Country. And, uh, you know, the Cardinals, they're still... A lot of questions on their batting order, their ideal lineup, and uh, you know they're driven really. They're driven analytically, is what they're looking at to put their one and two hitters. Um, I I think we're probably going to see Edmund lead off, and uh, um, probably batting second will be the rookie outfielder playing left field. There's um, there's really no option. No, there's not. That's I, it. I, I was thinking last night, well, who else would bat first but Edmund? Nobody. Nobody. Because he has the best chance of making contact of anybody and getting on base. And so his statistics, his key statistic this year is going to be on base percentage and run scored. That's right. 
Dylan Carlson gives you the left-handed hitter there at the number two slot, and he I know he's young, but who else are you going to put up there? There's no one. There, there is isn't. no one. Then you got three and four, which and are five set, with and DeYoung's going to hit fifth. You cannot possibly, cannot under any circumstances consider hitting Harrison Bader one or two. No, he doesn't. He is just not a good hitter. When can we just agree on that? He is not a good hitter. Why would you put a hitter that can't hit in the one or two spot because he's fast? Well, that just means he gets back to the dugout faster. Yeah, well, that's and, all. And the same for O'Neill, and, and and not just leadoff. That's but, a joke. But by one the way. or two. But one or two. You know, I mean, that's the only for me, and I think we both agree. The one and two spot is either is going to have to be. Uh, um, uh, Edmund and uh, who's the other the outfielder? I'm I'm at a blank here. Dylan Carlson. Dylan Carlson. So uh, you know Edmund. You don't have and, any options. No, but because uh, you know, it, it's like O'Neill. He he just he's not he he strikes out too much, and the same can be said for Harrison Bader. Uh, they both got speed, but that's all that they bring to the table. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I, I don't you know what I'd do if I were the Cardinals. I would go into spring training and you've got this kid, an outfielder named Justin Williams. I'd give Lane Thomas a try. Lane Thomas. I would make I would make left field an open competition. And whoever plays best in spring training, because all these guys you just mentioned are guys that have been through spring training a few times <clears throat> and it, I know they're young, but they're not pups they're not flat out you know first year players and and take whoever plays best in spring training and give them the left field job to start the year well Derek Gould was on with Bernie and uh it was a great interview too and they were talking about the philosophy change that the Cardinals went through about seven eight years ago and um it was, you know, they were so desperate and and trying to get more power and develop more power, more power. Well, what they did was they have lost the ability to be, you know, it, it was it was home run or, or nothing. You know, it was hit the ball hard or, or nothing. And it, it the card, you know, all not just the Cardinals, but you know, the game of baseball. You, you need to make contact. I was watching another uh, show on MLB Network where uh, um, they were talking about some of the changes. And uh, the dog, I can't think of uh, his name, but uh, he, he has a show on there. And, and I agreed with him 100%. They're talking about doing away with the shift in, in baseball where it's illegal for the shortstop to play in in shallow right field. Now, I say that is complete and total bullcrap. You you cannot if you know, you cannot dictate how a manager wants to set up his defense. If you look, I get they're wanting to, you know, they say, "Well, we need to make the baseball game more exciting." It's, you know, it, it's well, like if if you're if I'm hitting and you're the shortstop and you're going to play in shallow right field, 
Look, learn to hit the ball the other freaking way. Yeah, but if you do that, then that takes away from your power numbers. That's the th- I think that's the thinking. It has it's it's crazy. It is. It's it crazy. Is crazy. If they're dumb enough to put three play or three infielders on one side and one on the left, hit it the other way. A, a player could easily hit well over three hundred just by doing that. Would you do that to Tony Gwynn? Would have you done that to? to well, of course not. He would have hit five hundred. Pete Rose. Would have you done that to? Uh, you know, Carl Yuskrimski. Would have you? Do, I mean, you know, would no. It's if the coach the you if the coach wants to put a defensive alignment out there, it's up to the hitter to hit it the other way. You know, when we were kids, you know, we were taught hit it where they're not. Right? I mean, isn't that kind of the game of baseball? Well, hit the ball where it's pitched. And with somebody like Matt Carpenter, his biggest issue was trying to pull everything. And when he did pull it, he hit it right to someone. Now, how many times do you have to do that to think, hmm, this isn't working. Maybe I should do something else. And so if, if players would just do more of that so much, it's like you said, the emphasis is so much on power. People people don't want to hit a single. They don't want to hit a double even. But I I watched. It was on classic MLB, and and I had never watched it before. It was the nineteen, I think sixty eight, World Series, the Cardinals. Bob Gibson had the seventeen strikeouts to set the record. Mm-hmm. I think it was sixty eight. 68 against the Tigers. Yep. And that was on TV, and I just was kind of scrolling through, and I, and I found it. And I didn't watch the whole thing, part of it. And that thought came into my mind where, you know, there's not a lot of runs scored. and But how can these young, new sports writers, analytic people, how can they look you dead in the eye and say, well, that's not very exciting to watch. There was no home runs. There was really, I mean, it was, I, I don't know. I don't get it. I don't, you know, I mean, maybe I'm getting old and, and the game has passed me by. I, I, I don't get it. I think that if Major League Baseball was honest about it, they're, they're really worried that they're losing fans. Because I don't know so much of it's about the game. One of the, well, I'll tell you one reason they're losing fans. People are sick of watching strikeouts. And you know why they're, people are striking out so much? Because they're worried too much about hitting home runs. They're not worried about making get, cutting your st- uh, swing down with two strikes and making contact and putting the ball in play. That's the biggest problem. There is nothing more boring than sitting there and watching a game where one team strikes out 14 times, and their team strikes out 15 times. Mm-hmm. That's, that is boring. It really is boring. Well, to me, exciting baseball is, you know, base hits, put the ball in play, and then a team that is a threat to steal bases. Now, you know, I mean, think about, let's go to Whitey Ball, you know, in the 80s. They didn't hit a lot of home runs. But, boy, howdy, they were fun to watch, you know. And you hear all these former pitchers that talk about teams like that, some of the Oakland A's teams, the Whitey Ball in the 80s, uh, the Cardinals, how, you know, gosh almighty, man, when somebody got on base, it was was freaking intense because something was going to happen, a hit and run, a bunt, a steal, you know. 
And but now today, that's not exciting to people. They you know the games last too long, and if you want to shorten the game, call strikes. Call strikes. Call a freaking strike, and then guys are going to get up there and they're going to have to start trying to make contact. Well, those teams that the Cardinals had in the eighties when Whitey was there were really good teams. Two of them went to the World Series. Three of them went yeah. to the World Series, and uh, the 82, 82 team won it. Mm-hmm. But And the team uh, the year before that, they got screwed because of the player strike. They had the best record in both the first and second half, and somehow or other didn't make the playoffs. Yeah. So they, they should have got in then. But those teams, like in 85, is a great example of it. Those Cardinals teams did not have strikeout pitchers. They had pitchers that were around the plate. Pitched to contact. And pitched to contact. And that was a, number one, it helped your pitchers last longer. You bet. And it also fed into their strength, which was defense. Yes. If you hit a ground ball to the left side of the infield, you hit it to Ken Oberkfell or Ozzie Smith. If you hit it on the right side, you hit it to Tommy Herr, and Clark was playing at first, and he was a better first baseman than people gave him credit for. You hit it in the air. Vince Coleman and Willie McGee were going to catch it. Yeah. Or Andy Van Slyke. Yeah, exactly. They, and that, to me, that was more exciting basketball or baseball. It was more fun to watch because, you know, batters back then, you know, if you hit, if you batted 230, well, you wasn't going to be in the major league. You weren't going, no. You know, that wasn't good enough. No, you had, you know, it was 260 or above if you wanted to stay in the. Major League Baseball, and if you hit 260, you better play defense like Ozzie Smith. You know, you better be able to steal bases like Vince Coleman. You you better really bring something. If you hit 260, your on base percentage better be you know 330, 335, 340 because it was all it was make contact, put the ball in play, make them play defense. Something's going to happen, you know. But now it's, you know, bats, it's just, I don't know. I, but the I, philosophy has changed, and the way people look at stuff has changed so much. When we played uh, baseball, whether it was Little League or high school, the one thing you did not want to do was strike out. Strike out, no. You did not want to strike out. You want to at least make contact and make, you know, put the ball somewhere and make it out. The way the philosophy is today is, and players' attitudes today, is that a strikeout is just another out. Big deal. That is wrong. It is so wrong on so many fronts. I just it just drives me crazy. But that's the way it's treated. They they don't care that much if they strike out. They're going to go down swinging. Ah, oh, great. We'll go sit down then. But if you strike out, you haven't done anything anything to help you know push the line and move runners over and help help and help score runs. And you give yourself no chance at all of getting on base and scoring if you're going to strike out. You know, and bunting the baseball, that that you don't see much of that anymore because, you know, the analytical people say that's just a wasted at bat. And but, you know, for for decades upon decades it was pretty successful, you know, as as far as the Cardinals and other teams were were concerned, you know, you get a guy on first, move him over. You know, if he can't steal, move him over. Or if he d- is able to steal the base, move it, advance him to third. Now you got a guy on third with one out. Now what do you do? Just hit it hard somewhere. Just hit it hard, boom, you score a run. Um, 
it's it's just crazy. I I, I don't think it's ever going to change. You can't you know? name three good leadoff hitters. I, I would challenge anyone, even if they're a big baseball fan, I would challenge anyone to name three really good leadoff hitters because what used to be a good leadoff hitter isn't looked that way anymore. You know, Ricky Henderson was the guy that kind of changed that because when La Russa used him as a leadoff hitter, yeah, he was fast and he'd steal a lot of bases. But he, you know, he swung from the heels too. And he may have been, Ricky Henderson may have been the last great leadoff hitter because he could get on base, he could steal bases, and he hit home runs. But here, the way it is anymore, I think that for a lot of teams, they stick somebody in that fir- that first slot. They don't look at it like just get getting on base. They look at it as somebody that can hit the ball, hit the ball with authority, mm-hmm. and and create runs with a swing. So it's just a different way of looking at the game, and I, that is the thing to me that has made the game. If it's boring, and I'll and I'll grant that, I'll grant that to anybody. It is pretty boring to watch sometimes, yeah. but it's <clears throat> because so that. <coughs> Pardon me. Way the game's played now. Yeah. Well, it is. It's just totally the the game is completely changed. It's more, uh, you know, pitchers. You don't you see very few pitchers now that um, pitch seven or eight innings because it's more about striking batters out. Well, and that's why Flaherty than, and, and guys like him only go five right because if they go five right if you know pitching to contact and now i'm really curious as to how tony larusa will do in chicago because you know he said he managed this you know everybody knows how he manages and and that's how he's going to continue to manage and he was a manager that liked his pitchers to pitch to contact you know throw the ball down get those ground balls make you know make your defense use your defense behind you and um but you see pitchers you know that's kind of you know they go five innings and then you start going to the bullpen and and so on and so forth where i don't know uh you know i just hopefully hopefully this analytics it's starting to catch up with itself because You know, we talk a lot about the Cardinals and the bad contracts that the Cardinals have. Well, the Cardinals are not the only organization that has been bit by that, buying so much into the analytics. And it's not, I'm not saying neither that analytics is horrible. Of course, the more information you can get, the more, um, you know, numbers, because let's face it, baseball is a numbers game, but it has taken over front offices and they're more about well i know this guy only hit 230 and struck out 190 times but he hit 20 home runs you know he drove in 60 60 he had 60 runs drove driven in well i i I think now more and more uh front offices are saying you know what yeah analytics is pretty good that information is pretty good but still it's all about I'd, hits on base percentage, you know, RBIs. You know, a lot of people say, well, RBIs is a horrible stat because, well, yeah. no, it's not. It's never going to be. If I'm on third base, I want somebody to drive me in. I don't care if it's by a pass ball, if it's by a fly ball, if it's a base hit, if it's whatever, you know. 
it's a it's an important stat. I want one of these geniuses to explain to me how runs batted in is an unimportant statistic because by definition you're knocking in a run. Now, how can that be minimized and belittled as being an unimportant statistic? If you're not if you don't have people that have that stat on your team, if you don't have people driving in 80, 90, 100 runs, then you don't have any you don't have any run production. I think we know a team that has kind of struggled with that the last couple of years. Absolutely. But here's here is my thing with analytics. I think that analytics are not necessarily used to figure out what players are capable of. I think, you know, what's the old saying? I'm trying to remember who originally said it. It may have been Mark Twain. Uh, there are three. There are three things. There's lies. There's damn lies, and there's statistics. And I think that people use analytics to try and justify what they want or who they actually want. I think analytics is one of the, one of the best things that ever happened to Harrison Bader. I think they use that to justify running him out there every day. Yeah. And then they'll go to his metrics on defense and start talking about that. Well, I sit here and I watch him play. If I watch him play 162 games at the end of the day, I'd say, you know, Harrison Bader can run, but he's not a very good baseball player. He can catch a baseball. That's great. You know how many guys you got in minor league baseball that can run like a deer and catch fly balls in the gap? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of them. Yeah. So what's the difference? You got to find a guy that can play defense and hit right. both. Right. If you can't do one, then you don't belong out there, yeah. especially if you're playing a premium defensive position. Well, and see, that's how a lot of front offices, they're doing all these contracts on projections. This guy, this kid is projected to be a, a you know, a uh, uh, 270 average hitter, uh, uh, 100 RBI guy, uh, you know, 30 home run guy, and and 20 stolen. They, you know, he's projected. He's projected. Well, what are you basing that on, though? This again, numbers the the his launch angle, his launch angle, his exit velocity, his exit velocity, and hard hit balls, and you know, well, but they're hit right at people. Well, you know, maybe if you're a better hitter, you wouldn't hit it at him. Or maybe you'd walk, you'd earn, you'd work a walk. Well, and you know Matt Carpenter, he was always projected to do this, 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 and, but he can't hit the ball the other way. So he could, he could. I, I I don't believe that. I think he could hit the ball the other way all day long if he a really worked on it and I, and if he really wanted to. I don't think he wants to. I think he's more worried about hitting the ball over the wall and over everyone's heads than he is hitting a single the other way. Or a double the other way. Yeah. Well, it's just uh, game has changed, and uh, their Major League Baseball, they've changed the baseball. They've deadened it. So, you know, it. there's not supposed to be as many home runs. Um, you know, every year more and more home runs because that's what they thought the people wanted to see. And no. So we shall see what changes come up you know they talk about again the the pace of the game speeding it up well you know again there's one simple way call more strikes Call more strikes and and you know guys are not going to be setting on a fastball and waiting and waiting and then swing and miss it for the third strike hey folks we do appreciate it you got anything you want to close on before we uh no that thing you were just talking about 
let's say that the philosophy is you want to see more home runs. Yeah. Okay. Let's say that happens, but there's for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction. And on the home run thing, let's say there are two more home runs hit each ball game. Mm-hmm. For that to happen, though, players generally are having to try to hit home runs, and when you try to hit home runs, that does not promote a healthy contact-oriented swing. So your home runs may go up two a game, but your strikeouts are going up eight a game. Mm-hmm. And that is why people are getting burned out watching baseball games. Well, yeah, that and, you know, I mean, it, it costs more, and, and uh, it's just, I don't know. I, I just, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with this, I think. Within the next five years, because you look at, you know, Houston, the run they went on, forget the, 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 the scandal and all that, but you look at, you know, the Washington Nationals, you look at other teams that have been really good for a sustained amount of time. Forget the Yankees. The Yankees have an endless pocket. They can buy all these guys that can hit for average home runs and, and all that. But teams that have had a lot of success, they could. You know, just look at their lineup. And they got guys that can, you know... Uh, uh, yeah, but here's the thing, though. Before that happened, before Houston got good, before Chicago got good, you know what they did? They, they lost tanked. A, they lost on purpose. They tanked. You can't have that. No, no. But I'm just saying, overall... You, sh- you can't be rewarded for purposely losing. No, 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 you cannot. You cannot. You No, absolutely. And they were. Yeah, they did. They got rewarded. They dra- drafted Schwarber and Bryant and, and all those guys, you know, <laughs> yeah. with the Cubs, and it worked. But but the type of player— Houston, too. Houston was really bad at that. The the type of player that they are, you know, they're, they're good defensively. They can run. They can hit for average. They can hit for power. You know, they can spray the ball all over the field. And then you look at teams like the Cardinals that had been struggling— uh, I know they've made it to the playoffs, but, you know, it's like this year. Bernie said, or I'm sorry, Derek Gould said, look, a lot of people are really excited about Nolan Arenado, and that's great, but one guy, one guy is not going to really change that batting, you know, that, that, that lineup. I mean, you know, and if you think about that, you know, I mean, he's right, you know, because and because one and two is a big question. Who's it going to be, you know? Um, that, that's We'll see. But it'll make him better, though. It should make him better, but, you know, I mean... I mean, better because of offen- offensively, Arenado's going to make him better, and defensively, he is really going to make him better well, on the left right. side of the infield. Yeah. And he's going to make Paul DeYoung a better shortstop. Yeah, yeah. Now, Harlan came in here last week and said, all right, would you trade Jack Flaherty and Nolan Arenado for Mike Trout? I wouldn't. I I wouldn't. Would you now? But would you? I would be tempted. Would you? I'd be very tempted. See, if it were me, this conversation that we had, uh, I would trade Jack Flaherty right now. I would offer Jack Flaherty up for a. A, a left field, a center fielder, uh, a left fielder, um, a shortstop, 
you know, I would, I would somebody that could put, you could use in that batting order, you know, and uh, to solidify that lineup. Um, Cardinals got a lot of pitchers. We hear about how good that farm system is with their pitchers and so on and so forth. Well, I, I think the NL Central could still be won without Jack Flaherty on the, in the Cardinals' rotation. Well, it, to make a trade like that, you could you could fundamentally if you're gonna if you were if you actually had the nerve to make a trade involving Jack Flaherty, you'd have the opportunity if you're willing to go far enough to fundamentally change your baseball team. That's correct. Even if and if you threw in Arenado in the deal, you still got these kids coming up in the minors. You got two really good third basemen who are going to have to play somewhere. Well, Gorman, they've someday. moved to the outfield. They've moved Gorman to the outfield. Well, that may be an idea. Put Gorman in left field. And here you go. Why he's? We hear how good he is at the plate, and we've heard this for three years. Well, why haven't he? Why hasn't he been given a legitimate chance? Because like, he's not ready. Well, and, and and the miners, miners, miners being shut down last year didn't that help. hurt? Yeah, that hurt. They, the Cardinals have a kid in the minors who is actually a first baseman, and his name is Luke Baker. Mm-hmm. Look him up. He played at TCU, same place Carpenter played, and he. Now here's the problem: he is he has an immense amount of power. I'm not talking about Tyler O'Neill. I mean, I'm talking about. He'll whack it. Big guy, really strong, can really hit the baseball. And if he could learn to make better contact, but the problem is that drops him into that same category of a lot of power, potential, strikes out a bunch. Well, and a lot of people want to compare, you know, Jack Clark and say, well, you know, Jack Clark, Clark, all he was was a power hitter. Well, Jack Clark was a good hitter. Jack Clark was a professional hitter. Jack Clark, he will strike out once in a while. Oh, yeah. But look at what he was surrounded with. You know, I mean. Well, that that actually, to me, makes an opposite argument. Because when you look at that Cardinal lineup that Jack Clark played on in the mid-'80s and 85, well, who did he have hitting around him? Not much. I mean, as far as. Damage potential goes. Right. You had... Pendleton, maybe? Well, Pendleton eventually in 87, but in 85, it was uh, Ken Oberkville playing third base. And so... In Van lot, Slyke could hit it. A though. lot of plays. Van Slyke didn't really become Van Slyke till he left. To uh, Pittsburgh. He pulled in a, a Rosarina, went to Pittsburgh and became a great player, you know. Mm. So, I, uh, Jack Clark was a... Here, there was a guy on an island by himself... That you could pitch, you could. You, here's why you couldn't pitch around him. There was people Cardinals, on base. He had people on base. Boom. That's it. Th- right that's there. what. Yeah. And that's the thing. You know, you get people on base. That's how you protect your your Goldschmidt's, your Nolan Arenados. Uh, that's how they get pitches to see. Now pitchers can nibble and and you know, but that's when your studs, your dudes, can sit there to play. And, and really zone in, but uh, you see, and we've seen it, you know, Nolan, uh, or I'm sorry, Paul Goldschmidt, you know, how many times has he come up to the plate and there's two outs 
and nobody on, or there's two outs and there's one guy on. Well, it comes down again, comes down to being a professional hitter. When Jack Clark hit that home run that beat the Dodgers in the playoffs in in '85, uh, uh, Needenfuhrer, the reliever for the Dodgers, got behind on the count, got behind one and zero, and so Clark knew. And this was late in the game. You got a couple people on base. Game six, potentially clinching game for the Cardinals. He knew that Needenfuhr, Tom Needenfuhr, did not want to fall behind two and zero on him, and so Clark. Smart, sat on a fastball. He knew it was coming and just absolutely <laughs> killed the baseball <laughs> yes, into the did. left center field bleachers right over Pedro Guerrero's head, who the best, one of the best parts of that is as the ball's flying over his head into the bleachers, you can see Pedro Guerrero in the outfield takes his glove off and throws it on the ground. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's great. All right. Well, there we go. Good stuff. And, uh, you know, the Cardinals again Sunday. Catch the St. Louis Cardinals on KUKU 100.3. The St. Louis Blues you can catch right here on Q94. The Missouri Tigers on Q94. The Missouri State West Plains Grizzlies over on KDY 102.5. And the Blues, uh, Harlan. um, Banged up. They are. They're really banged up. Gunnarsson is done, out for the year. The bad part is most of the players that are hurt are really good players. Robert (laughs) Thomas is hurt. Uh, Pareko is hurt. Pareko, he may not. He be may back not come back. Year. Yeah, and that is a huge, huge loss yeah. for them. I th- Thomas will be back, but yeah, Pareko, I don't know. Pareko's got a back problem, and it, anyone that's had back trouble knows that that is not good. Especially where do hockey players mostly get hit? Well, a lot of the time it's the in the upper body and stuff. Yeah, in, in in the lower back, you know, and up high, but. Back issues. I don't care what sport it is. I don't, if, I don't care if you're even an athlete. If you got back trouble, that is amazing. And you don't know how bad it is to have a back problem unless you have one. Yeah. But if you have one, you you know what you know what it is. I remember several years you coming into work and you were move, moving slow and you said you bent down to tie your shoe <laughs> and you couldn't raise back up. And I actually surely, did that once. Surely had to help, help you. Help me. Yeah. No, I and and that's when. I discovered the chiropractor, which made – I found out that what my problem was wasn't necessarily a back problem. It was a hip problem. That's right. Hip alignment. That's right. And I went in barely able to walk upright. Well, I couldn't walk upright. I was just kind of like Quasimodo, kind of dragging my right leg. And then I get adjusted. I get up. I ran down the hallway. Unbelievable. So I'm a believer. That's scary. Yep. Running. Folks, thanks for pushing play. I'm Gary Lee. I'm Harlan Hutchison. See you next week.